Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Thursday, February the 10th, 2022. When their absence gives you peace. By the 1990s, cell phones had become pretty commonplace. You know, never mind that they had been invented for about two decades by then. I don't remember when caller ID disrupted our phone usage, but it was a phenomenal development for me. I remember it in regular phones more than I remember it in cell phones. Because as a business, I mean, the phone rang and how cool is this? We can see who's calling. Wait a minute. What? I can know who's calling before I pick up the phone. This is great. This is awesome. Very quickly, caller ID became a psychological barometer of sorts for me. Uh, It became my gauge for whether or not a person was helpful or harmful whether this incoming call was from somebody that I really wanted to hear from and I really wanted to talk with or whether it was from somebody I was going to dread talking to. That's what prompted today's show. I hope you're good. I hope everybody in your family is good. I hope, um, hope you're having a good year so far. It's already been a bit of a challenge for some, I know, and you can say that about every year. I still remain optimistic. Some months ago I did an episode. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for today's episode, which you can find at leaningtowardwisdom.com. Let me go ahead and hawk the Facebook group and invite you, when you go to the website, find that Facebook icon, click on that. It takes you directly to our group. I'll let you in. I think there are some questions. Yeah, people don't get, some some people don't get the questions correct, but no matter. Uh, I did an episode some months ago entitled, Are You Helping or Harming? That is not a recent question for me. I was sitting in a classroom in LSU wishing that I was anywhere but there. I was longing to see my then-girlfriend, my now-wife, Rhonda. She was about 11 hours up the highway over in Fort Worth, Texas, pondering this question. I don't know. I was 18, 19 years old. 
a professor provoked the question, are you helping or harming? It was an arrogant, young, show-off psychology professor. Now, he was admittedly very entertaining, but he was quite the opposite of helpful, which is rather ironic since he was a psychology professor. I have no idea how good of a professor he was. His classroom was large, and it was on the opposite side of the campus from any other class that I had. I mostly remember that. It wasn't a problem for me. I rode a bike to class. I carried a bike in my back seat. I drove to campus. I parked and then donned the backpack, got on my 10-speed, and uh, that's how I traversed the campus which I still maintain is one of the most gorgeous campuses. Not that I've seen them all, but LSU still has a, a beautiful campus. Uh, from the first day of class in this particular course, this professor informed us, you guys, uh, you can bring me, and I forgot, he named his favorite beer. You could bring me alcohol as a way to improve your grade. And then he made a statement that I can promise you would get any professor fired today. I vividly remember it. And no one gasped. No one, no one reacted to it. And you girls, well, you know what you can do. I do remember thinking, hmm, okay. This was the first day, the first day of class. I instantly disliked him. Not just because of that comment. Just He just had this air about him. I loved the subject, though psychology but credit goes to him for prompting that question when i was just still a teenager are you helping or harming he was doing both simultaneously i mean he was teaching this subject that i was very interested in at the time i'm still very interested in it but yeah okay he he was also kind of harmful i'm also still intrigued by the choices that people make the choices that we make as human beings that are dramatically opposed to one another. In the Bible, there's scripture that talks about putting forth bitter water and sweet at the same time. Well, fountains don't do that, but boy, can we do that? We can do that with our tongue. We can do that with our speech. We can do that with our habits. You know, a man who can lavish affection and admiration on a woman that he professes to love but then he can put her, put his hands on her violently. A person who can whisper sweet nothings in one ear and profanely cuss into the ear of another. But aren't we all capable of that kind of Jekyll and Hyde behavior? I suspect we all are capable of it. And as curious as that behavior may be, the more puzzling behavior to me is the person who is filled with such hubris that they lack empathy. I've maintained, and there's only been one, there was a marketer who came out with some type of, a, of an assessment. I don't remember what it was called, but I do remember it, and I remember taking it. In fact, I remember taking it multiple times just to make sure. It was some free, free thing that this person put out there. And I don't know that it measured empathy. I don't know that you can, but I took it. And of course I, that part of it 
was dominant empathy. And I've maintained forever that if there was some kind of a device that you could attach to your fingers or, you know, something like a polygraph that would measure empathy, uh, I feel pretty confident I would peg, I would peg the meters. So I'm very intrigued by people who empathy is, is difficult for them, if not impossible. People who are consistently harmful, but they don't know it because they think that you, they think me, they think the rest of the world, we can't possibly survive without their advice, you know, without their criticism, without their judgment. I mean, they make the world go round. And I'm unabashedly aware of my own stupidity, of my own ignorance, of my own getting it wrong, but I am also equally aware of my high degree of curiosity and my even higher degree of empathy. In fact, so much so, it's a problem for me. In my coaching practice, I very regularly will tell clients pretty early on in the engagement as we're discussing their strengths, because I have found this to be universally true. Our strengths become our weakness. I mean, that very thing that comes natural to us and that we're really, really good at, we've got to be careful because it can bite us. And for me, empathy is that. Empathy can get in the way for me. I can become so vested in this person and whatever they're going through, uh, I've got, I've, I've got to purposefully with great intent and intensity, I've, I've got to rein it in so that I can be more helpful. Make sense. I don't know what that is for you, but I can promise you that whatever your biggest strength is, it's likely your Achilles heel as well. For me, curiosity is, is another one. Asking stupid questions was really never much of a challenge for me because, well, the curiosity trumped any head trash that I might've had and that, well, I'm, I'm going to look stupid. If I ask this, I'm like, well, I can either look stupid or be stupid. I think I'd rather not be stupid. And if people think I'm stupid, well, what do I care? I'd rather, I'd rather know the answer. I mean, actually knowing beats appearing like I know for me might not for everybody. And this is why in part I'm put off by people who act like they know everything about everything. I have found people who don't seek understanding. I have found these to be the most critical people, at least that I've encountered. I've been blessed. I'm being facetious. I've been blessed to have a handful of such people come through my life. In most cases, I have frenetically set about to get them out of my sphere or maybe more properly to get myself out of their sphere because, well, you know, it is their universe. And as I'm thinking about this, there are two people, two such people who have occupied my life longer than I might have liked, but you know, sometimes it can't be helped. No, I'm not going to tell you who they are. You wouldn't know them anyway, but it happens. It happens. Would that you could ideally control everything in your universe. You can't, 
You can't control all the people who come and go. Yes, you can control to some degree, the interactions that you have with people. But again, that also depends on life circumstances. And sometimes you can control that more than others. I've had two come into my life that were a little bit more difficult to, uh, it was more difficult to manage that circumstance. But let's go back to the caller ID thing. I haven't forgotten about that. I still use that caller ID test whenever I gauge whether or not I'm willing to allow somebody into my life or how deeply I'm willing to forge a relationship. And I'm not talking, I'm talking business. I'm talking casual. I'm talking social. I'm talking close friend. It doesn't matter whatever the circumstance that you can dream of or think of that's applicable. If the caller ID shows a person's name and number, how do I feel? How do I feel? Am I excited to talk with them? Am I excited to see that number pop up on my screen and their name? Then I'm likely going to be willing to devote myself to that relationship. Do I dread talking to them? Do I look at my phone and think, Oh, man, not them, then I'm not willing to advance that relationship. And I'm likely going to look forward to how can I distance myself from, from this person? How can I prevent this? How can I prevent this from ever happening to me again? Um, it's a test that has not failed me, by the way, I've used this ever since caller ID came out because it was one of the first it was one of the most phenomenal things uh, to impact me when caller ID came out. I mean, my first reaction was as a business guy to think about the business impact of it. And we couldn't fully get our heads wrapped around it, mind you. But it was the possibilities were cool. But then at a personal level, and especially, especially when cell phones became pervasive boy, was it because when, you know, when the cell phone became the thing, I mean, it very quickly trumped the landline because we had it with us all the time. People could reach us. We were accessible to people and we weren't texting back then. We were actually calling each other. I think I know I said it last week and I I mean it. I very rarely get a phone call now. It's almost, it's almost all text. There was a comedian. He used to say, you know, the, the phone, it, it's got a great camera and it's got this and it's got that. How about you just give me a phone. That's a great phone. This is back when, you know, cell phone technology just wasn't what it was. We've now got 5g crazy fast cell calls. They used to just, they would drop constantly. Oh, you didn't have to be in the car. You could be walking from one room to another. I could be walking in my office, not leave my office, and I could lose a call. Uh, you know, it was, yeah, the technology just wasn't, it wasn't quite there yet. But the caller ID thing, it was pretty terrific. And I very quickly learned this caller ID test, this is a very valid test for me. Might not be for you, but it has proven wickedly accurate for me. 
Uh, I've got a photograph. I'm going to put this in the show notes to today's episode. Again, leaning toward wisdom.com when their absence gives you peace. That's the title I'm putting on today's show. Uh, I'm going to take a photograph. I'm going to post this photograph. You'll see on the photograph, of course, you'll see the yellow wall, which hence the name, the yellow studio, but this is the wall next to the light switches. As you enter the yellow studio, uh, there is a sign directly above the light switches. And it simply says, everyone brings joy to this office. Some, when they enter others, when they leave. And I've had this for a considerable amount of time. There's some other stuff that you'll see when you look at that picture that I'm going to post. I know there are people who have negative feelings about me. I am completely good with it because I determined as a young man. No, check that. I determined as a child, we've talked in the past about peacekeeping and how some of us are just, you know, more peaceable than others. And I was the kid, I mean, a grade school kid that when kids got into a fight, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Again, the empathy was just inordinately high. Didn't want them to get in trouble. Didn't want anybody getting hurt. I think I was in third grade maybe fourth, the worst fight that I'd ever seen in school broke out during recess on the playground. I did not know either combatant, but one kid was clearly superior to the other. I don't remember if it was size, but you could certainly, when it came to the skill of fist fighting, one kid had the other one hands down and the superior fighter knocked the other kid to his knees. I didn't see that punch, but I saw the next one. And he's down on his knees. He's got both hands over his face and I'll never forget it. And the other kid took a step forward and with a haymaker hit him so hard it lifted him up off the ground. And I remember the sight of it. I remember the sound of it. And I remember the blood. He had to have broken the kid's nose. The kid was okay. I mean, he was beat like crazy. Um, I just, I remember, I remember just being wrecked about that. That how, how can one person do that? to another and how could a situation escalate to this point? And I felt badly for the kid who got the beating and I felt I didn't feel equally bad, but I did feel bad for the kid that I knew was going to get the book thrown at him. They both probably did when it came to school punishment. I don't remember a time in my life where I did not resolve that whatever problem I had with somebody else, I was going to try my best to fix it. But sometimes you can't life taught me that I had to learn that the hard way. Have you kept up with this Joe Rogan thing? I mean, man, it erupted last week, you know, like a bonfire new young, you know, they don't like 
they don't like Joe Rogan's stance on COVID-19 issues and whatnot. And he's not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, so Neil Young threatens Spotify, you know, Joe Rogan's a big time podcaster. He's got this huge mega million dollar deal with Spotify that he signed a year ago. And, you know, either, either I'm gone or Joe Rogan's gone. Well, that was an easy decision for Spotify. See you, Neil. And of course there's been all kinds of memes and stuff rocking in the free world. <laughs> so clearly Neil Young does not appreciate or approve of freedom of speech. Freedom of speech means that they can say something. I don't agree with it. Well, I, it ain't freedom if I'm the one who's dictating what in everybody else can say. So there's that, but a fellow who's a brainiac and a half that I kind of track a little bit, Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, he observed about the Joe Rogan Spotify drama and I, I should have looked up the quote, but I didn't, uh, but he said words to the effect, you know, when it, when it comes to these critics, you ought, if you offer them an olive branch, somebody had made some comment in social media about, um, offering an olive branch, or would it be wise to offer an olive branch? And this was Shapiro's retort. You know, you offer them an olive branch, they'll break it and they'll beat you with it, <laughs> which I thought was both funny and accurate. Cause I've had that happen. I've had it happen where, you know, you try to make peace and you, you try but it's like, you just can't get there from here. I used to think I could influence all that, that I could determine that outcome. No, no life had life had real serious lessons to teach me. You can't always determine the outcome. I mean, when it comes to what other people choose to do, guess what? You are not in charge. Oh, you may have influence and you may, well, you may think you have more influence than you do, but, um, yeah, I've, I've offered olive branches only to have people try to poke me in the eye with it. You've had that happen to you. We've all had that happen. Uh, I'm going to take multiple attempts to patch things up. It, I don't know how regularly this happens, but boy, it seems like I hear it a lot. And I don't think it's got anything to do with the pandemic. I don't think it's got anything to do with societal stuff. I've heard this forever. Somebody lamenting about some relationship. And it, it often is a husband and a wife. It often is a couple who's dating. It often is a relationship that has romance involved. And I will hear a person say about the other person, Well, I can tell you this, you'll never hear them say, I'm sorry. And, or, well, I'll tell you this, they will never, ever admit they're wrong. It's like, those are great qualities to have, aren't they? I mean, would you want that said of you? Well, I can tell you this about him. He will never, ever apologize for anything. Oh, I can tell you this about him. He's never wrong about anything. I, it's a good thing. I've never cataloged the apologies as much as I love notebooks. I don't think I've got enough notebooks to keep track of all the apologies. There's a character assessment put out by a company called via VIA. 
I would tell you what that stands for, but I, I don't remember. Uh, but I've taken this thing numerous times and it, it's, it's not like strengths finders. It's, it's not a measuring device for these are, these are your talents. These are your skills. These are your propensities. It is more character based. And every single time I take it, the thing that leaps to the very top is forgiveness. And when I took it some years ago, it, it was, it gave me some insight as to why I find it difficult when people say, man, how do you, how am I going to forgive that? And I'm like, you just make up your mind that you're going to, which I know sounds like empty advice, but I, I, I don't know what else to say. You just decide that you're going to, that's, that's how you do it. Um, it's just never been difficult for me. Now the whole kiss and make up thing, if you think, well, okay, you've been wronged and you're going to forgive. And then there are people that want to put a condition on it. Well, they didn't ask. I ain't forgiven. You know, well, I don't happen to suffer that. It's a gift. Yes. I told you it can also be a weakness. I just don't suffer. It doesn't mean I want them in my life. It doesn't mean I want to be in their life. But I'm not sitting around getting, getting bitter and getting worked up and feeling angst about it. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, depending on the circumstance and the situation, some things may take a little bit longer than another, but I'm, I can promise you, I'm always going to reach a point where the page gets turned and I'm good and I hope they're good. I mean, I figure, come on, the universe is big enough for both of us. It's not like I've got to constantly be in their sphere and they got to be in my sphere. I'm fine. Um, I don't know. You know, it, it, it is what it is. I'm going to make multiple attempts. And quite frankly, there are so many times that I'm wrong and I need to commit myself to doing what I have to do, no matter what they decide to do. So I'm going to make, I'm going to make multiple attempts to correct things that I mess up, but I'm going to move on eventually respecting somebody's right to ignore that or to refuse that. I didn't always, I didn't always, I had to learn that, you know, I, I don't have to live with their choice. Well, I do in the sense that I have to respect they don't, they don't want my apology. They're not going to accept my apology. Just shut up and move on. I, I did have to, ex, I did have to get to that point where I know, okay, I've got to live with their ability to make that choice. And that was hard. That was a hard lesson to learn. I thankfully learned that when I was younger, but I knew for a fact, and I still know I got to live with my choice. I've got to live with what I do. So I've got to satisfy myself in making whatever attempts I feel like I should make. And I want to make to fix this. And if I continue to be rebuffed, I respect their ability to rebuff that it's fine. I just have to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try anymore. My metaphor for futility 
for many years has been pushing water up a hill. I can't tell you where it came from. I didn't come up with it. I'm sure I stole it from somebody. I'm sure I read it somewhere or heard somebody talk about it. Pushing water up a hill is my metaphor for futility. And I just mostly make up my mind. Yeah, I'm willing to push water up a hill for a while, but I'm not willing to devote my whole life to it. So eventually I give up and I'm good. It's fine. You know, the real focus here, the real focus of this whole conversation is we talk about when their absence gives you peace, that the real thing we're talking about here is presence, presence, sharing space with others, sharing time with others having direct interaction with people physically, virtually on the phone, in person, social media, email. I'm including any, any and all interaction with another person. I'll just roll all that up in one big ball and we'll call it presence. Somebody's presence in your life, your presence in their life. Think of a person whose presence you crave. And when you think of them, you think of how great this interaction is going to be. You think of why you're looking forward to this interaction. I would wager that you're thinking this is going to be engaging. It's going to be interested. They're going to be interested. The interaction is going to be easy. The interaction is going to be fruitful. In your mind, their presence makes your life better. And hopefully it's reciprocated. Hopefully that's how they feel about the interaction with you. These are people who can make your entire day. I mean, the good feelings that you get, not only when you see that caller ID, but that good feeling trans, it translates, it can extend for days. It can go for days beyond your time together. You know, this you've experienced this, that person whose presence you crave, let's throw a, a middle one in here. Think of a person whose presence frustrates you. Getting people like this. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. When you think of them, you think of how great the interaction could be. It could be great. If only they would focus on engaging with you more deeply, but they don't, you know, maybe they call you on the phone. I know you've got people like this in your life. They call you on the phone or you call them on the phone and the only word you really get out is hello. And maybe you never speak again. Every interaction is fully about them. What's going on with them. And you're not that important because (laughs) this one really gets me. And you've got people who do this. I promise you've got people who do this. They may consistently need to hang up. And maybe they initiated the call. They called you, but almost as soon as you answer the phone and you start talking, well, they, they need, they need to go, but they promise they're going to call you back later. No, but of course they don't call you back later and they called you, you know, listen, there are many, 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 many categories of these people, these people whose presence frustrates you. It's not that you dread them. You might even crave talking to them. You just crave that this time it will be different. This time it will be better, but it's not. And 
it continues to frustrate you because you don't mind hearing from them. You want to hear from them, but you also know with great certainty that this interaction, it's not going to be very profitable. We're going to be pushing water up a hill. (laughs) You know what I have found about the frustrating people? They are incredibly consistent and they are incredibly predictable. They behave this way all the time. I have concluded rightly or wrongly. I have concluded it's just their way of life. It's how they operate. They have this operating system. Like I'm on a Mac. I talked to you last week about this Mac OS, this Mac operating system, and maybe you're on a windows PC. So there's your operating system. And maybe you're on an Android phone and that's your operating system. We've got these operating systems in our head and in our personalities. And I think some of these people, it's their operating system. Now that that's not excusing the behavior but it is a bit of an explanation. I think we all get into these habits, these habits of of how we do things. There are people who have the habit when it comes to interaction, the habit is to step forward, put themselves in the limelight and make it about them. And the more you do that, I'm certain, I'm certain of this because this is true for all of us, whatever our natural inclinations are, it's just easier to continue to do that because this is what I do. I I step forward and I'm thinking about what I need to say, what stories I can share, blah, 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 blah. And this is how it goes. And there are people, there are people that call you on the phone and you say hello. And within 30 seconds, okay, well, I, I need to hop off here, but I'll call you right back. And you learn after about the 10th time, don't expect that call. I mean, oh, they might call and then they might call tomorrow. They might call next week. They might call two weeks from now. Oh, they'll call. But when they say they're going to call you right back and in your head, you're thinking right back means as soon as they get free from whatever interrupted them problem, every time you have an interaction, they're interrupted. They're not stopping to think, you know, you're not that important. I got all this other stuff coming at me. And the minute something else comes at me, I'm ditching you because you're, you're less important than anything else that's going to interrupt me. They don't think that they're not aware of that. This is the person who frustrates you, a person whose presence frustrates you. Think of a person whose presence has an ill effect on you. Think of a person whose presence is detrimental to you. When you think of them (laughs) if you think what I think you think I would rather be poked in the eye with a red hot poker than have to talk to them or see them or interact with them. Now, the reasons that you feel this way, they're not important. I mean, we could go hopping down that bunny trail and that's probably a never ending story. Who cares? I mean, I've given you a few of my reasons, but there are so many of these reasons That's not just a podcast episode. That's a whole series of shows on why these people may have an ill effect on us, but they do for whatever reason. So let's keep playing this game, this presence game, shall we? With a focus 
that I, that sign that I have hanging here inside the yellow studio, everyone brings joy to this office. Some, when they enter others, when they leave, now, it's just another viewpoint, but we can think of how we feel when people connect with us or who contact us or who interact with us. Again, I'm talking virtual. I'm talking physical. I'm talking any interaction that we have. Now let's ponder how we feel when they leave. When they leave our presence, how do we feel? When our interaction with them is over, what's the impact? Yeah, just stop and think about it. The people that you crave, those whose presence you find uplifting, those people that you find rewarding in some way, you likely have some bit of sadness, some bit of disappointment that it's over, some similar feeling when the interaction stops because you could have kept on going. Time may not have permitted. Practicality may have gotten in the way. You know, when somebody that you love very, very much, when they leave or when you have to leave them, it's not fun. It's not fun. It's a dreaded moment. Now, I experienced this a lot when Rhonda and I were dating because we were long distance, as I said. I'm in Baton Rouge. She's in Fort Worth, Texas. I would drive all night. I would arrive at about 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning after driving all Friday night. And then I would leave early the next day, Sunday, after we went to church services on Sunday morning. I mean, we barely had 24 hours of being in the same vicinity. And we probably, I don't know, we probably had 14 hours maybe of actually being present with one another. I mean, it was, I was going to drive twice that, (laughs) not quite, but almost to and fro. And then it was back to the car, you know, and I'm heading back down the highway. I'm headed back to Southern Louisiana and, you know, this long, arduous, lonely drive spent conniving now on how can I repeat this? How can, when am I going to be able to make this trip again? And I'm reliving our time together. I mean, this is how it goes when you leave the presence of somebody that you love, somebody that you enjoy being around. Yes. Their presence makes you better. It makes you feel better, but now there's tremendous disappointment because, okay, we're not present with one another anymore. That's not quite how it goes. (laughs) When you finally get away from somebody whose company you dread, when you finally get away from the presence of somebody who has this ill effect on you, well, you can't wait to get away. And if possible, you avoid being in their company altogether. And well, you should, well, you should. Now we could have a conversation and I thought about this, but I thought, no, I'm not going to go down this trail, but I will mention it this insistence that some people have that we are the right person for everybody is 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 very ill thought out uh, this is not a this is not a valid premise at all listen i'm wise enough to know i've been leaning toward wisdom long enough to know a i got a whole lot more leaning to do but the leaning i've done so far has absolutely positively proven to me I'm not the right person for everybody. 
I think when people are going through some hardship, some, some tough time and people want to provide some solace, you know what? There are people that I am not the right person to provide that solace has nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with them. And I think this is where we mostly get it wrong. We think it's about us. It ain't about us. It's about them. So what's best for them. So let's say somebody who's presence has an ill effect on me highly probable my presence has an ill effect on them too okay well to what length should i go to be that shoulder of support during their most trying time i shouldn't (laughs) i'm the wrong person for the job if you work in a company there are people who have certain jobs and other people who don't have those jobs Hopefully the people who have that job, they are the best suited for that job. And the people who don't, well, they're the least suited for that job. So that shouldn't be their job. But in life, we think, well, no, I, anybody and everybody in my sphere, anybody that I'm even remotely acquainted with, I'm the right person to help them. No, you're not newsflash. You're not, you might be the exact person that should not should not step forward, but come on, we got to make it about us. Okay. We'll tap the brakes on that. No, we don't have to make it about us. How about we think about them? What's in their best interest. If they have an ill effect on me, it's highly likely I have an ill effect on them. Why would I want to have an ill effect on somebody during a trying time? Well, stop that. You seen this far side? I think it's far side cartoon. It might not be. I don't know. I think there's, there's six little panels and it's spray can of stop it. (laughs) They spray it on a leaky faucet. They spray it on, you know, they spray it on all kinds of, it's just a can of stop it. No, there's no such thing, but boy, wouldn't it be great if there were sometimes we would need to hold that can and spray ourselves in the face with it. Stop it. Stop trying to stop trying to be that person for everybody in your life. There are some people you just need to stay away from. Now, I likely have a little bit of a bias because my mother, bless her heart, my my mother is the person who's going to speak to everybody. And sometimes she may not be everybody's favorite person, and they may not be her favorite person. Even if they're not her favorite person, she's still going to speak. I don't know where this head trash came from, but I don't suffer it, (laughs) thankfully. But I grew up watching it. And it's just how she is, but it's not a great way to go. It's just not a great way to go. There are people that are just, they're going to work the crowd like a politician. Okay. Well, if you have an ill effect on my presence, that's not helpful. It's just not helpful. I mean, it, it is, it is this scenario of who are we making this about? Are we focused on the other person? Are we focused on ourselves? Well, I'm focused on myself. I want to make sure that I speak to everybody. Well, why don't you stop and think, does everybody want you to speak to them? What if everybody doesn't want you to speak to them? Do you care? Well, no, because I want to speak. Well, yeah, there you go. There you go. There's a lack of focus on others. There's a reason that you might not be helpful. There's a reason you might be harmful and there's a reason you might be deluded in not knowing 
that you're being harmful because you're not thinking about them at all. You're only thinking about yourself. So there are people that we crave. There are people that we dread. There are people that we are frustrated by. And those people that we're frustrated by, they could either be people that we could dread or they could be people that we could crave, but they're just kind of stuck in that no man's land of frustration because, well, the interaction, it's just always frustrating. It's just frustrating. So as I'm thinking about this and we kind of round the final quarter poll here, you know, it's, I think this is all a bit like energy management. It's a, it's number one, we've got to know ourselves, and we've got to know where we derive energy. And we've got to try to put ourselves in the person, other person's shoes and figure out where might they get their energy and what are, what are all the signals that, that we get of where their energy comes from. And are we a contributor to that or are we detrimental to that? And if we're detrimental back off, back off, back away, get away, run, run, you know, boxers in in a fight or MMA fighters in a fight when the referee steps in the middle if they give a a 10 count or if you know they want a doctor to come in and look at a cut or something they send the opponent to a neutral corner i think when it comes to presence and when it comes to are we being helpful are we somebody that somebody craves? Are we somebody that frustrates other people? Are we somebody that has an ill effect on other people? We need to think about that. We need to think about that because if we're a frustrating person or we have an ill effect on somebody, we need to be rushing to the neutral corner. We don't need to be, we don't need to be rushing to get in their face. We don't need to make it about us. But as I'm thinking about energy, and we mostly think about energy, I, I guess, when it comes to personalities, when we think about introverts and extroverts, you know, because some of us are introverts, our energy is drained whenever we are around too many people for too long. Meanwhile, the extroverts among us, they increase their energy when they find themselves or they put themselves in social interactions, social situations with a lot of people, it amps them up. Others of us, it it makes us just slump our shoulders and pray for the comet to come. Their energy is drained. If you deprive them of all of that social interaction, too much time alone for these people drains their energy where others of us time alone. I mean, buddy, it's recharge time. Presence and absence. That's the deal. Presence and absence, energy given, energy drained, positive, negative, optimism, pessimism. I mean, they're all these diametrically opposed forces and things. That's really what we're talking about. But you know, the real question here, the real question and the question that needs to be the ending question for this show is which type of person are we?
for some people, your presence is uplifting and it's great and it's wonderful. And your absence is disappointing and it is sad and it leaves a hole for others. Your presence is detrimental. That dread that you get when you look at the caller ID and it's a name that you absolutely don't want to see. There are people on the planet and that is the impact you have on them. I know, I know you can think, oh, please say it ain't so it's so for some people you give energy. You amp them up. And for others, you just pull the plug out of the wall and they just go limp. And that's the point. It's not about being this universal energy giver. It's not about being this universal, I'm a positive presence with everybody. Old heads taught me a long time ago the truth of the phrase. It's trite, but it's true. In order to be loved by some, you got to be willing to be hated by a few. And that can be a really tough, tough lesson for a lot of us who absolutely don't want to be hated. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go out of my way to be hated, but am I willing to be hated? If I feel like I've done my part and I've tried to live my best and I can't get from here to there and have some reconciliation, you bet. I'm willing to be hated because I know that there are some people that I can serve and it makes it all worthwhile. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here, coming to you from Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.